episode 17, Laurel Beaversdorf. So this is where we can kind of come to like an anatomical approach to preventing or fixing injury versus a biomechanical approach to preventing or fixing injury. You're listening to the Taylor Fit Wellness Podcast, where we explore wellness topics from A to Z so that we can take an active approach to improving our quality of life. Okay, here we go. I am so excited to have Laurel Beaversdorf on our show. Hi, Laurel. How are you doing? Hi, Francis. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. We have known each other for, oh my God, when did you go through the anatomy course? That was in 2008. That was my first year teaching yoga. Wow. It was the very start of my 300-hour program that I was enrolled in. Oh my gosh. Wow. I didn't realize it had been so long. That's so awesome though. Oh my God. Okay. So here's, so here's how I know you, Laurel. I know you as that student in class who is like the top student who like knows their stuff and asks all the right questions. That's how I know you. And from, from then till now, I've seen your practice just move and grow and, and change and shift. And I feel this intelligence that I just feel so um, inspired by. And I love what I've seen you do. And especially with, you know, the transition that's happened over time, dealing with coronavirus and, and everything moving into different spaces. I know all of this about you. And the, there's even more like I could just gush and keep going. But why don't I let you tell us a little bit about yourself and our listeners can hear it straight from the source? Yeah, absolutely. I started teaching in 2008 and I completed my 300 hour around that time, started teaching at Yoga Works and was promoted to teacher trainer just three years into teaching, really. Um, They had a, a need for trainers. And then I taught through Yoga Works predominantly and also teacher trained for Yoga Works all the way up until actually 2018, I think was my last training. And then I, at that point to actually 2019, because I already had had, I remember I was breastfeeding during the last 200 hour training, (laughs) running running to like closets to breastfeed in, in, on breaks. I'm so it's 2019 actually. And, um, you know, in there I started toward the kind of end of my, I guess, job as a teacher trainer through yoga works. I started lifting weights and practicing kettlebells and discovering somatics like Feldenkrais. I also became a yoga tune-up trainer as well. And actually it was probably about midway through my teacher training career that I discovered yoga tune-up as a movement system, I guess you could call it, and started rolling on therapy balls. I'm very grateful to the yoga tune-up style too, because it came along at a time when I had just lost my mom. And so I was having trouble grieving, actually. I was having trouble finding a healthier way to grieve than just work all the time, because I can tend to be a little bit of a, of a workaholic. And so I rolling on balls was very, very helpful. Self-massage was a very, very helpful way to relax enough to be able to, to feel more and to then, through that, discover that I actually needed, you know, 
more than just rolling on balls to, to get through the trauma of having lost my mom. Yeah, um, and, and I also uh, really grew from Yoga Tune Up in the sense that I learned uh, a different way to teach yoga. So I think of Yoga Tune Up kind of as the gateway to my multidisciplinary present. Um, and it happened probably back in 2012. And um, so it's been a combination of lots of yoga with a definitely more of an interest in the anatomy, physiology, nervous system involvement with movement than necessarily on, you know, fancy poses or, you know, more acrobatic shapes. But also, uh, I would say like my strengths were very much in the anatomy, biomechanics, physiology sort of arena as a trainer as well. Oh, and I always taught, I always taught the kind of body science components of the training, especially if I was co-leading with another trainer who was potentially more into the philosophy um, component side of that's it. That's amazing. Not that I haven't throughout been fascinated with yoga philosophy as well. I certainly am. Right. Um, but I just consider the, the body science more of a strength of mine. But yeah, and so all of this led me to where I am today, which is that I'm now a uh, yoga teacher, still a yoga teacher, but I also teach kettlebells and I incorporate tools like therapy balls and resistance bands into my yoga classes. It's like a mosaic of things that sort of make the whole picture work. I love what you said about having a multidisciplinary focus. And I think that's so important. It's like cross-training. It brings different elements into what the body needs. Let me ask you a question. Was the anatomy studies for yoga teachers course that you took? Was that the first anatomy course that you took? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I actually, you know, had had the 200 hour teacher training before the 300 hour and Jason was the anatomy teacher for the 200 hour. For the 200. And that's how you met him. And that's how I met him. And I think that's why I signed up for the 300 hours because it's always good to know the person that you're going to then spend hours and hours and hours of time learning anatomy with first. Yeah. Kind of a smaller dose. Oh my gosh. Um, I think I taking I think I was also taking Jason's yoga classes as well because he he was teaching at yoga works at the time yeah yeah and really appreciated his his style of teaching so right yeah definitely the anatomy studies for yoga teachers was the the big first training and I'm so glad that I took it when I did because it allowed me then to view how I was teaching and then eventually how I was training through a more body science-oriented lens um, science and it, really it just important. gave me a, a ton of clarity and I also found it extremely interesting so and at the time the course was 108 hours right yeah yeah so that's yeah. like the big course uh-huh. yep <laughs> did you attend any of the ones um, at yoga works that were the happy healthy series no I did not so those were like shorter little like nuggets Mm-hmm. They would focus on like happy, healthy knees, happy, healthy hips, happy, healthy shoulders. I think the knees and the shoulders were like the sold out um, classes. Yeah. Like That's so interesting. So you had finished your 200 hour teacher training and you wanted to dig in deep. That is that what happened? Yeah. I, you know, I can't remember what my mindset was at the time, but I think what maybe influenced me was what, other teachers who were not necessarily peers, but they, I considered them to be teachers at the time, they were going to take it. And that also made me think that it was a good step for me to take, which 
I tend to be very heavily influenced by the people that I admire and respect. Fabulous. I'm just curious, who are some of those teachers? Because they went through the anatomy studies course too, right? Just Yeah, Chrissy Carter. Yes. Paula Liberis. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, the great. Uh, That's good. Marco. Is it Marco Rojas? Marco Rojas. Yes. Oh my God. Uh, I didn't know that he was taking the course until I arrived that day and he was he was there. I think I'm leaving someone out because I know a lot of my colleagues took it later, but I can't remember who was in that first cohort. The first it was sort group, of a small group. Yeah. But yeah, That's it fun was, though. It's kind of like a little like family group of sorts. You know what I mean? It's like we all went through together. You know, like I remember I went, I myself went through the anatomy studies course in uh, 2009. Mm-hmm. I remember it was at Pure Yoga on the east side mm. in their beautiful space. And I remember just seeing how the course unfolded. Yeah. There were no notes for the slides at that point. And I remember one student like raised their hand. They were like, would there be notes for this? And <laughs> they didn't exist. <laughs> and Jason was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so then he proceeded to, to, to basically take all the, the work and energy that like went into the slides and the knowledge that he had from teaching anatomy for as many years as he did and basically put it into word form. And that's kind of where the notes first started. And then the notes and the slides then became like the online course sort of over time. But, but that's so fun. That's, it's neat to think of kind of like our anatomy families, yeah, so to speak. And I think if you, when you name those teachers, I think wonderful, focused, smart, and big hearts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love yeah. that. Tell us about your injuries because you, you mentioned injuries sort of brought you to where you are. And, and my thought behind asking about the injuries is that a lot of people actually get hurt doing different physical practices. And there are ways to keep you more intact, I want to say. Mm-hmm. So, We both know Jason Brown. He is a massage therapist and he was connected very intricately with the yoga works community, teaching teacher training there. That's where you met him. And then going into the anatomy studies for yoga teachers. So he's also a massage therapist. So one of the interesting things I think is that as a massage therapist, he would have a lot of clients come to him. And there was a point of time where there are actually a lot of teachers coming to Jason to help them solve their physical issues. And these are teachers that are knowledgeable, really focused, but they're also getting injured doing yoga. And I, you mentioned at a certain point in your process that you, ha- you found a way to work around your own injuries. Am I remembering correctly? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I would love to share with you what that process entailed. It was largely about understanding big concepts, actually the difference between big concepts, like the difference between pain and injury. Wow. And it was also about understanding the difference between what I'll call anatomical approaches to injury prevention and biomechanical approaches to injury prevention. Wow. That sounds amazing. The difference between anatomical approaches to injury prevention. Which we could just call alignment. Alignment and biomechanical. Tell us about that. Sure. Let me start with the injury pain piece because I actually don't know if I was injured. I never got assessed. I never got an MRI. I never went to a doctor. I mean, I I went to doctors. I just didn't go to doctors to treat the pain that I was suffering from, which I think- pain though. Yeah, I had pain, which which was a result of my years of practicing yoga, but maybe not in the way that you think. So at least this is my understanding. So I had hip pain. I had hip and SI joint pain. 
And I would spend several weeks not being able to sleep, or I would spend a couple of days in some really horrible pain when I went to stand up or walk around or, you know, make some random movement and ooh, I'd have this like sharp shooting pain through my hip and my SI joint. I thought that it was a lot of injuries. I was afraid that it was a torn labrum. I was afraid that my SI joint was out of place because that was the current understanding that your SI joint could just whoopsies kind of slip out of place. I actually Um, wrote a paper on the SI joint through the structural yoga therapy training I did with Mukunda Styles. That was my focus. You had to do, you had to do a research paper and that was my focus, the SI joint, because it was such an elusive kind of thing I didn't understand. So I wanted to understand it. So you had this question about the SI joint as well. Yeah, I had SI joint pain. Um, So I had pain. I know for a fact that I had pain and I had pain that was sometimes limiting what I could do. And so when I started to understand the difference between injury and pain, I realized that very plainly you can have pain without an injury and you can also have an injury without pain. Wow. So then that put me more on the path of trying to solve a pain problem rather Mm -hmm. than trying to fix an injury through some fixed way of fixing an injury, some like injury fixing protocol that, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you can find them all over the place on the internet, right? (laughs) But here's a protocol for how to fix your, your SI joint that slipped out of place, you know, stuff like that. Right. I love Um, what you're saying though, because I think that the thing is, it's not always so like obvious. Like if you have pain here in one point, like to come to that one point and address that one point, I think that's like the cookie cutter kind of idea of fixing pain, right? But I think mm-hmm. what you're about, what you're kind of going into is this idea that, that it's, it's bigger than that and, yeah. and maybe different. Um, it's, it's not only bigger than, you know, say you have shoulder pain and you just focus on your shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not only bigger than it, that in terms of like body region, mm-hmm. but it's also, it also goes beyond like biological uh, tissue damage, right? Uh-huh. Pain can exist without biological tissue damage. Mm-hmm. So it sometimes, you know, there is biological <laughs> tissue damage yeah. in I always encourage my students to check with their PT, you know. Of course, um, right. But so in my case, in my yeah. case, uh, I strongly suspect that I had pain without biological tissue damage. Uh-huh. Because now, after I've changed what I do in terms of, you know, how I load my body on a weekly basis, uh-huh. um, my hips feel great. My SI joint feels great. Um, maybe, maybe I, you know, healed an injury, but I don't think that's what happened. I think what I did is I recalibrated my nervous system's tolerance um, by increasing my capacity, by increasing my tissue capacity. So this is where we can kind of come to like an anatomical approach to preventing or fixing injury versus a biomechanical approach to preventing or fixing injury. And, you know, I'm not a PT, I'm not a doctor. So when I say fixing injury, I'm really just talking from my own perspective of what I did to get myself out of pain. This is definitely not a prescription for what everybody should do. Because, you know, as I said before, sometimes there is an injury and you need to be diagnosed and assessed. And that's what a doctor is for. Yeah. Um, So I, uh, 
started lifting weights and um, I immediately, almost immediately felt better. My pain almost immediately went away. That's amazing. So that, that told me that, you know, I, of course, I wasn't just lifting weights with whatever alignment, like I learned how to lift weights. So alignment form is a part of a part of that, but more important to fixing my alignment because I had been trying to do that with all the yoga poses that I thought was causing me pain too. I was trying to fix my alignment so that my SI joint didn't hurt and my hip didn't hurt. And I didn't see an improvement. In fact, I think I saw things get worse from that hyper fixation on alignment. But when I, started lifting weights, I started loading my body differently. I started increasing my capacity to manage load by actually working on strength, Yes, which I wasn't working on when I was just practicing yoga. I had plateaued. And so the loads that I was, the loads that I was putting myself uh, under as a, as a yoga practitioner weren't uh, challenging enough. I, yeah. They weren't effortful enough for me to build strength. When you first started looking into strength training, did you start sort of the, the classic kind of like um, single movement exercises and then progress to doing a more of a functional strength training? Was there, was there a, a, a sequence to the way the strength training evolved? You mean like isolated, like isolated, like machine type lifts? Machines like or free weights, or you're just doing yeah. curls. Yeah. How, what no, was the progression in your strength training? No, I didn't start with that. I started. Um, I hired a strength coach, and she taught me how to do a deadlift. She taught me how to do a pull up. She taught me how to do a goblet squat. She taught me how to do a kettlebell swing. And she taught me how to. Uh, we started to work a little bit on like the clean and things like that. Um, yeah. She's she's a, a Olympic weightlifter. Wow. And a CrossFit coach. So, you know, my beginnings were influenced by her, her area of expertise. And her name is Elizabeth, Elizabeth Whip. Oh oh my God. I know Elizabeth. Yeah. So she's been around. She's a longtime yogi. Oh my God. Oh, wonderful. As a yoga practitioner. And then she, and then she moved a little bit more into weight training, but she was a yoga tune-up teacher and I met her through yoga tune-up. Oh, fun. Oh, my God. I love, I love yeah. the way things kind of weave together. I lo- yes, I know, Elizabeth. We, we used to teach together, I think, practice yoga years ago. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Wow, how so fun. That's what I learned from Elizabeth. And I had uh, several sessions with her. And then I went into the weight room and started to play around with, um, of course, you know, continuing to work on those lifts that she showed me. But then also yeah. I started to play around with, you know, the machines at the gym and yeah. with kettlebells and I, I went down to um, Five Points Academy after the birth of my daughter. It took a while to kind of get back into kettlebells, but I would go down. I would try to go down once a week and take class at Five Points Academy kettlebell kettlebell class. And I, you know, gradually added more more lifts and more exercises to my weight training repertoire. But I but I started with with the basics, I would say. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And and I and I learned, you know, that that what was missing from my movement diet, if you want to call it that was yeah. this component of effortful activity, effortful, Fabulous. meaning um, I need to, the task needs to be hard enough for yeah. my muscles to be challenged, to be challenged, right? Yes. So that, yeah. um, so that my muscles have to effort hard enough so that um, my body gets stronger and my muscles get stronger. So So that, that did wonders for my pain. That did wonders for my pain. I have the 
pleasure of having attended the kettlebell classes that you have taught online. Yeah. And I love them. <laughs> First of all, I love that you made everybody feel comfortable you know, and I know this was kind of in the middle of the pandemic and it was like, if you don't have the props you need, grab something as an interim prop. And I happen to have a couple of things around the house. I, have, I happen to have like a 25 pound weight, <laughs> which, you know, um, and then also um, a bottle of laundry detergent, like that you could kind of use like a kettlebell. So I love that you made everybody feel comfortable. I love how my body felt after doing that effort, you know, and I love also that I think that you've combined everything. I'd love to talk a little bit more about you have now the virtual studio <laughs> set up and you have a uh, membership that allows people to come and join the different classes that you're teaching. And the kettlebell is included in that. Am I right? Yes. Kettlebell gym, I call it, is, I would say, a staple of the virtual studio. Um, I have 16 classes available as recordings of live classes they've been edited um and every week i teach a live class so that collection is growing and the virtual studio also contains yoga classes but the yoga classes often incorporate props like resistance bands and therapy balls i have just some therapy balls like quick get in, get out type massage sessions that are oh, 15, so about funny. 15 minutes long. And I have some kettlebell tutorials that are about 15 minutes long. I'm going to add more um, to that collection where you can kind of just go in and study one particular move and then take that with you into a kettlebell. That's so gym great. Class. I love that because there are yeah. really specific moves, right? And, and just once yeah. you get the technique down, then you're good once, you know, which is. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so much that you can play with, right? You can play with um, different techniques, right? But you could also mm -hmm. play with adding uh, load um, with some kettlebell moves. You can play with adding another kettlebell and have doubles, <laughs> right? But one of the things that I think people enjoy most about kettlebell gym is the flow yeah. at the end. So the yeah. class kind of builds toward a, a sequence that is, you know, a combination of different kettlebell moves, but yeah. I often will also sprinkle in a little bit of yoga esque type movement, um, body weight type stuff as well into the, into the final flow sequence. It's usually between like four and eight different moves or body positions that yeah. kind of flow nicely together. It reminds me of like the way a dance class would be taught. Like you would do certain segments, you would have like a warm up. you would have different exercises that taught you how to do specific movements mm -hmm. and then you would put it together in a combination and the combination would be kind of fun. So yeah, um, exactly. and also challenging. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate that. So are all kettlebell classes like not all kettlebell classes are like that, though, right? I mean, no, they're not. No, the one I would t take at um, Five Points Academy is very heavily influenced by strong first all I think all of their instructors were strong first instructors, and they mm -hmm. uh, hosted strong first uh, certifications. So the strong, from what I understand, strong first is very much focused on strength. So okay. <laughs> strong first. Uh, and so a typical class, it would depend on the instructor, actually. I took from three different instructors there, two of them regularly, and they were all very different. Okay. Um, but it, it would usually, you know, it would usually start with some, you know, swings or presses and then build 
from there, but I think what, what built was often, um, intensity and, um, with kettlebell gym, it's different because we do two circuits. So there is some building of intensity within those, within those two circuits, but the moves that happen in the circuits often show up in the flow at the end. Yeah. So there's a pre-teach component to my class. Whereas with the classes at five points Academy, I never got the sense that we were building toward a peak of any kind, but we would be constantly refining technique. And there was usually one move in the class that would be like a little bit more technically sophisticated. Okay. Not always though. Sometimes it was about the workout. It was more about the workout being the challenge. So, you know, one time I think we did some kind of timed circuit where, you know, it was like a, as many reps as possible of some type of a move. Yeah. And so, you know, what becomes the focus with that is, I, in my opinion, intensity, right? Intensity, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that's also uh, been a component of kettlebell gym as well. The last class I taught, we did a, a circuit on suitcase swings. And oh, I saw the first time that I, I had just, for that. that was the first time I took one move and I did like a 10 minute circuit of really it. And people loved it. <laughs> <laughs> They were just like, well, wow. Yeah. Well, it, 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 kick, it kicks your tushy into gear. It does. I no, know. Yeah. There's something really uh, beautiful about keeping things very simple. Simple you know? is good. Simple yeah. and effective. And the fact that you're feeling it and in a way that feels like you're building strength. I I've personally, you know, I took your class and then, you know, the, a day or two later, I'm like, wow, I'm really feeling that. And, and mm-hmm. there's something very gratifying about that. It's like, I did good, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I might not have done it without the support of the class. Actually, I, I wouldn't have done it without the sort of support of the class Yeah, because I didn't, yeah. you know what I mean? I had to show up and that was really awesome. Tell us more about the system that you have. You have the membership system with the kettlebell class and with the yoga, yoga classes, yoga with TheraBands specifically. Yeah. Yeah, I have uh, basically an all access studio. So you yeah. become, if you're interested in taking the classes, you become a member. Mm-hmm. And when you become a member, you can take all live classes and you have access to the complete on demand class library. Okay. So you can attend live if, you, if you'd like, but if you can't attend live, yeah. then that class that you weren't able to attend live will be uploaded as an edited recording. Usually the day of, I usually sit down right after I teach and I edit and I uh-huh. upload it to the website. Almost so almost immediately, you'll be able to, you'll be able to take that class. And then, so the library just is continuing to expand to like the universe, right? Yeah. <laughs> and well, how, what the live that? classes are ever since I you know, launched on September 4th. I've been teaching kettlebell gym every single week. The other live classes, I call it a yoga blend masterclass. And the last four part series we had was called Balls and Bands Flow. Okay, cool. And so, you know, it had everything, balls, bands, and flow. Okay. Uh, And it was themed around, each class was themed around a particular uh, body region. There was a whole class devoted to pulling the shoulders. There was a whole class devoted to hip flexors, glutes. One class was devoted to cross pattern stability of the trunk. The next four-part masterclass series starts October 20th. And Uh I'm still playing with what I want to teach. So I haven't 
quite decide. That's why I've got two weeks off in between those four part master classes because those are you have some time to mull it over to really designed, figure out what you yeah. want. Yeah. That's they're great. very carefully designed classes that are almost like little mini workshops that feel but feel more like weekly classes. So it's like um, four weeks on, two weeks off. Four weeks for on the, two weeks off. For the yoga master class. Yeah. yeah. And, and and the kettlebell happens the, every week. Yeah, all and kettlebell happens every week, of course, you know, unless right. I'm vacationing or traveling, but yeah. Which is lovely that you can schedule that in, you know. Is it like on a Zoom class or? Yes, it is. It's a Zoom it's class. On Zoom. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what's the I actually really like Zoom for teaching yeah. live. It's really um, good, right? I really like to put it in gallery mode and see all yeah. the students. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that... Um, What's great about Zoom is students can turn their camera off. So okay. they don't they can, have to be seen if they don't want to be seen. Uh-huh. They can take they can turn their camera off. Um, I have everybody muted unless they have a question. And then um, students okay. are encouraged to unmute themselves and ask, a, ask question. a question. Um but I I know there are ways of um, projecting live stream classes where the teacher can't see the students. Uh-huh. And um, I don't think that I would want to use that for two reasons. One is I want to be able to see students during the class to be able to teach, to help them. But also there's a a period of time after every live class that I teach where the students who can stick around, stick around. And we all talk together, which I'm really enjoying. And sometimes we'll sit and talk for like 15. Isn't that so needed? That's so needed. I, I'm teaching classes on Zoom as well. And what I'll do is I'll have like a waiting room so the students can show up before. Mm-hmm. And then I'll, they're sitting and talking before class, ah. like, like, the, like you were walking into a studio and you got there early to meet your friend. And so they're sitting and talking. And then, and then I show up, you know, kind of close to the time when class starts. And then afterwards, I, I teach um, yoga and Pilates, alternating yoga and Pilates. Mm-hmm. And on the yoga class, we meditate for like 20 minutes each in the mm-hmm. beginning of class. Mm-hmm. And then the Pilates class, what's happened is some students have taken it upon themselves to say, hey, you know, do you mind if we stay on, you know, so basically class is done and, and, um, and then they have take, they've taken it upon themselves to do a meditation. Like someone pulled out an app and like, you know, and, and I think I joined them even once. It was like, so awesome. It was like, let's do this together, man. I mean, we're, 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 we're isolated in our apartments and, and I know that COVID is not over, you know, it's, we, mm-hmm. we so we so much want it to be over, but I think that at the moment, like, if you're being a little extra cautious, if maybe you're, you know, you just, or you've gotten to a rhythm where you feel like working out at home is really convenient. Yeah. Like, let's just go with it, man. You know, like, it's a good yeah. thing. I think that a lot of people, teachers and students alike are discovering that working out or teaching from home is actually incredibly convenient and not as much as lost as you might think. Yeah. Because you can actually see really well through the technology that's currently available. You can really see the teacher and you can really, teachers can really see students and actually, especially if the camera's pointed, pointed correctly, like, well, you can really help people with their movement practices. I wanted to ask you about the camera um, being pointed correctly. Like, what do you do when you have a, a large, like, well, roughly how many students do you have in a class? 
Um, for kettlebell gym, it is usually about 10, 15. Okay. So when you have a class, the yoga yoga class is similar. So when, when you have a student whose camera is not pointing at them correctly, how do you address that? Because I've had that experience where it's like me as the teacher that, and they've taken classes before, but all of a sudden today their camera's just like off. Like, how do you, how do you cue students into fixing their camera and what do you happen? You know, how do you deal with that? Um, well, I assume, I tend to assume that people, um, know what it is that they're doing and what they want from an experience. Um, sometimes I'm wrong in making those assumptions. (laughs) We're doing our best. Hey, (laughs) you know, so, so for example, if a student asks me Mm -hmm. for feedback, but I can't see what it is that they're showing, I will give them guidance to either reposition their body or make sure that they're in the frame there. Um, if I'm watching a student do a movement in kettlebell gym, for yeah. example, and I'm unsure of what I'm seeing because of the way that they're positioned or the way their camera is, I might say something like, if you turn the other direction or if you get more in frame, I'll be able to see a little bit better. And okay. I might be able to give you a little bit of feedback on what I'm seeing. Okay, great. Um, students who... Uh, I know are in very tight quarters, right? I understand that it's just not possible. Like I'm really going to see this part of their body and that's, but they still have their camera on because, um, you know, I can see something. Yeah. But that's Uh, great though. They're still showing up. I try to speak to, to what I'm seeing. So if I'm only seeing someone's, you know, upper body in a swing, uh, yeah. I'll give them some feedback on the upper body. And then I, I might say something like, if I could see your lower body, I might see how that's connected, you know, okay. but awesome. I, I tend not to like, as a, as a teacher, my instincts are rarely to tell people to do something completely differently than the way they're doing it. My instincts are usually to assume that the student is doing, is doing either the best he can with the space they're in or yeah. the, the, the student doesn't want me to see this part of their apartment or the student totally relate to that or the, or the, or the student or the student, you know, um, maybe, you know, thought they were in frame for earlier movements and now they're out of frame. And in, in which case, like, I will say, like, I can't quite see this part of you. Yeah. Um, it's hard. It's hard. I think with a private session, it's a little different, right? So like if yeah. I were teaching a private session, I would probably meet with the student before the private session. Right. To make to, sure that they know how to put their camera yeah. in the right spot so that I can so that yeah. I can see everything clearly. Yeah. In general, um, if you if their camera is situated so you can see their entire yoga mat. Maybe like, do you prefer a side view or straight on or does it matter? Does it depend on the class? Like it depends on the, yeah, it would depend on the class. It would depend on the class. Um, for, for the yoga, for the yoga class that I teach, it's again, it's a little bit of everything. Like people's cameras are pointed. Sometimes I can see their whole body and sometimes I can only see like half of them. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes cameras are really close up because the student is actually prioritizing being able to see being the teacher. Able to see themselves. Okay, because they're working off so of much a phone. Sense. Okay, yes, they're a phone. Yes. There, there's all there's all kinds of reasons why the camera's not pointed the way you right. want it this to be so pointed. Like, would you and say like? Yeah. I I, I kind of wait for those 
for those realizations to unfold over time. Yeah. You know? I, think, I think that's a very generous and open way and, and um, inviting way to, to have your students feel comfortable because there is no right and wrong in all of this, really. I mean, yes, there's kind of the, the perfect ideal angle, but, but mainly at the end of the day, the students are getting their practice in. Yeah, and they're doing it with support and they're doing it with someone who has eagle eyes. Like, you know, I mean, I know that that sense, like you can see a lot, like you said, what other elements of the virtual studio do you think would be important to to share with um, with our listeners? Like, Well, one of the things that I learned before launching the virtual studio is mm-hmm. what people during this time want with regards to. Um, how, how people want to learn. Okay. Mm -hmm. Before all of this, nobody Mm -hmm. really thought very much at all about live stream. Right. Nobody thought that wasn't on anybody's radar. I mean, lots of people have virtual studios that never ever incorporated live stream classes. Mm -hmm. But as soon as the pandemic hit and nobody could go to live classes in person, yeah. Live stream became this really big thing that a lot yeah. of people really wanted. Yeah. So I realized that to share my teaching, you know, successfully during this time to where people would, would want to come to class, I, w- I would offer a live experience. But then I also yeah. realized that a lot of people can't attend live because their life doesn't allow for it. I'm one of those people. I rarely go to live classes. I will get classes to be able to get the replay. So the replay was another big component of how I was offering. And I was just offering one class for $15 for a very long time. I was building up my library and filming separately while I was offering those live classes, like with a separate device. I was filming with my iPhone while offering the class via my, my computer. Wow. And um, so I offered a live class plus a seven-day replay, and yeah. that that seemed to be um, that seemed to be about what people would be okay paying fifteen dollars for. Yeah, um, and it seemed like it was a good a good thing for me to do too because um, I could. I could offer this live class and I could let people take the class for a period afterwards, but not, they wouldn't own the content. Um, right. So then I would be able to, you know, have some say over my content and yeah. be able to use the content in different ways. Right. Yeah. Which is then what I did. I batched it all together for my virtual studio. Yeah. So now I'm not offering a seven day replay um, to members. I'm offering a, you know, a, a much longer term replay than that. Like the, the classes are going in for an undetermined amount of time, yeah. but they're going to stay in there for a long time. Yeah. I mean, maybe somewhere, some ways way down the road, I'll start pulling some classes out here and there. But, um, and so people like and need the synchronous and asynchronous option. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things that's been important for my virtual studio. So definitely teaching live classes is going to be a big part of the studio going forward that yeah it's something also that i've found that i really enjoy doing and for me it's a much more vibrant way to create content mm. oh in created, person 
Yes, yeah. exactly. It's it different than out, it brings out something different in me it, it than really like does. being alone in my room and talking oh my about God. my eyes. So world. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. It's a it really it's a, does it becomes a conversation, right? Yes, it it's a conversation. It's much more lively. It's much more fulfilling, I think, as a teacher. And I just there's an extra spark I think that you get from just really being connected to your students and you teach like authentically in those moments to your students, like, because it's live, it's real. Yeah. You know, it's, it's much different than just teaching to, you know, a lens. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I teach to a lens, I have to be very much more scripted about what it is that I want to say, because yeah. it's so easy to lose your train of thought if you're just trying to make it up for your, for your iPhone. Right. Yeah. But if you're just, but I don't, script my no. my live teaching because I know what I'm going to teach I have a sequence or a plan of course yeah but all of the you know all of the 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 context that comes out of what I'm teaching is inspired by the students in front of me and their questions and what I'm seeing and uh the relationship really yeah so which is really what teaching is is yeah. you know a responsive relationship i think between yeah. teachers and students so there i think you hit the nail right on the head there laurel it's a yeah. responsive relationship between the teachers and the students <laughs> and i think that's something that you you can't get anywhere else than actually being in an online class like in real time like um you know of course yeah. if you can't synchronous and asynchronous you get what you can and that's still good right something yeah. is better than nothing but i think there's a beauty and a magic to that connection well um, i actually think student. that the, the the students taking the recording of the class benefit more too from it being a recording of an actual class yes because mm -hmm. there are moments in that class recording where i'm actually speaking directly to a student and incorporating their question and information about their question into the whatever movement or pose or exercise that we're doing yeah. so that it actually feels more specific and it feels like more interesting in my opinion, oh, um, yeah. even for those asynchronous learners. Um, yeah. it just, it brings the class to life because it was once live. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And inevitably there will be students who have the same issue happening for them. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And as teachers, we can't always hold in our mind every second what every single student has ever asked us about every single instance of every movement. Yeah. And then share all of that. Yeah. Right. We have to respond. And so, yeah. And the really specific good stuff really, I think, comes out of those responses, it comes out of those dialogues and those oh, interactions. Yeah. 100%. That's where the Laurel. real, like, that's where everybody learns more. The teacher, yeah. all the other students in the room, and the student who asked the question. You bet. Oh, my God. Laurel, you're reminding me of an amazing, amazing, wonderful teacher that I had. And, and I remember her talking about, so this was in the dance world. So I studied for many years with Jennifer Muller. Mm. And Jennifer Muller... So I took class, they had company class, you know, daily, it was like daily at noon, company mm -hmm. class, and they would work on the same sequence for the entire week, uh -huh. you know, so normally when you go to a dance class, it's, you learn the sequence, you're done, and you never see it again, but right. they would specifically work on the same sequence for an entire week, which nobody else did, yeah. and the, the company members would teach class, but every once in a while, it was like Jennifer Muller herself would come oh. in and teach class <laughs> and everybody would be like shaking in their boots, even though we were all barefoot, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But the thing is that what she, she explained what she did, and it's reminding me of this kind of the beauty that comes from that, that one-on-one connection that, that is coming from the students. She knew that inevitably there would be a few people in class that would have the same thing going on. Mm-hmm. And she would be able to see that as the teacher. Mm-hmm. And so she could use that in the class. So she would use one person as the sort of demonstration person. Yeah. And then she would say, okay, so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. Do you see what I'm talking about here? Mm-hmm. And it would, re- it would relate to exactly what those other two people, two or three people were dealing with as well. Yeah the presence that she had in teaching class and like it was just this powerful energy was so intense. I just remember, you know, she would usually choose like one student to be like the student she was going to polish up for that (laughs) class. Like, and and that person would be like, so honored that like, there's this dancer thing about getting corrections. It's like, give it to me, give it to me. (laughs) You want those, (laughs) those corrections. And if Uh you were like the the chosen one, uh, it was like such an honor. And because you just, you knew you were going to, you were going to just change and grow and move and flow just so much better. And, and just what an honor, you know? So I feel like those techniques of having the, the person that was like, the shiny penny when you're done, but also then like three, two or three people would be dealing with the same issue. So when we're talking about synchronous and asynchronous, I'm thinking about what you're saying about the the people that are not taking it in real time. There may be one or two things that come from that live experience that might not have come up otherwise, but inevitably two or three people are going to have the exact same thing happening so they can learn as well. So exactly. And it's, it's really uh, lends so much authenticity, I think, to teaching is when it comes out of the student need, what the student needs or what the student is interested in. So (laughs) so cool. So cool. Yeah. I love that. Wow. Virtual studio. That's been (laughs) a big, um, those are the two main components, right? Which is that there's live and there's asynchronous options, but then there's different types of classes and I'm working Mm -hmm. to add shorter content because a lot of people don't have enough, you know, they don't have an hour and 15 minutes to take a class. So, um, so that's in the works. But um, yeah, the, the other component of it is that students can meet up with me once a month for what I'm calling the studio lobby, which is oh, I love that. that place in the studio where we can all come together and just have oh conversations about whatever it is that we're interested in. Awesome. And I had my first one this past Thursday. And we How talked was about, that? It was great. We talked about original strength, which is a style of restorative movement, I would call it. One of the students wanted to talk a little bit about his his take and his experience with original strength. And then we talked a little bit about strength in general and mm-hmm. about what goes into teaching a yoga class where this is another topic where students don't feel like they're in competition with one another. So there was a couple of different topics that, that came out of it, just like what you would expect in the studio lobby, right? I was missing that. And um, it reminds me of the tea room in Yoga Works. They had this beautiful yeah. area set up with the sort of the banquet and the tea mm-hmm. and the table low down to the floor, just and people would hang after class and just like chit chat. But how great when your teacher was there too, and you could talk about like things that really well, profoundly deal with the body. One, one of the things that's cool about teaching on zoom is that as a teacher in person I would always spend a lot of time after class talking to students and inevitably it would kind of it would kind of turn into me talking uh, at the end of it right to just one student because 
um, you know, everybody had to go and it was really kind of a like one student at a time type conversation. But yeah. on Zoom, because it's so collective, everybody's yeah. there. Yeah. And people just unmute if they have a question. And then I address the question and then someone out there, everyone's listening, right? Yeah. yeah. And another person unmutes and asks a question. So it becomes a group conversation. And then based on one person's question, another person might ask another question, right? Or have something to say about it, yeah. you know, because they had a similar experience. So it, it's been cool because now I don't feel like I'm sitting in the lobby of a yoga studio and a couple of students are waiting to speak with me. I'm sitting yeah. in the lobby of a yoga studio and like everybody's sitting there with me and we're all wow. talking about how, you know, how class felt any yeah. questions. Nobody has means. to wait per se. They're all a right. part of the conversation. And then, um, you know, teachers, a lot of teachers are taking the classes live. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I would say it's majority teachers. Yeah. And so they're also able to ask questions about teaching and the students that they're working with and, you yeah. know, getting, they're getting ideas for their classes. It's also a little bit of um, a continuing education experience as That's well. Awesome. And yeah. what, how fun to have a group that includes a lot of teachers in there because there's the knowledge that they're bringing with them and then the questions that must oh, arise. That's fun. my favorite. That's good. <laughs> it's my favorite part. I, I love absolutely. You gotta love, love the good stuff. I absolutely love that's working awesome. with teachers. Yeah, yeah that's, that's my so passion. Good. Yeah, so good. So good. That's so awesome. And how have you done all of this? Because Laurel, we have not like t aside from just a little note at the beginning, like just mentioning breastfeeding. Like as yeah. a busy mom, how old is your little one now? She's 23 months. She's 23 months. Okay, so she just came in. So. Oh, sweet. <laughs> just came in from and, the park with daddy. Oh, so how have you been able to do this as also mm -hmm. a busy mom? Like how, yeah. how, how is that even possible, Laurel? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I remember when the kids were little. I mean, mine are teenagers now. And I just, I remember when they were smaller. So tell yeah. us, like, how is that even possible? Well, let me start, you know, and in the beginning of Eliana's life, Eliana is my daughter's name. Um, Nathan and I got very, very lucky with his work. He was oh. granted paternity leave because <gasps> the mayor passed something that miraculously passed. And wow. I don't know how long it's going to last now that the budgets are in trouble, but he mm -hmm. got six weeks off right in the beginning of her life. Wow. So that was uh, I can't imagine what it would be like recovering from labor without having had him there for six weeks. Oh, wow. yeah. He, he did, he did a lot of work that most women are stuck with doing themselves. Wow. So I got more sleep support. because he was around. I, I ate better because he was around. <gasps> oh my God. I, you know, probably was in better emotional health and yes. psychological health because he was around. Oh my God. So it takes, it takes more than just one parent in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. It, it really must take more than one parent, although so many people do it so beautifully, you know, it's with, a challenge, with, the, definitely. with the other parent going to work full time, but yeah. so he was home and then he got a sabbatical. Oh my God. Francis. Yes. He <sighs> got a sabbatical for half the year because my husband is a public school teacher. So oh my God. Say that. he got a sabbatical. So he was home then too. He was of course working on his dissertation. So it wasn't okay. like a vacation no, but yeah. he was home and that's ah, huge with a that's baby huge oh my god huge. so then uh 
a global pandemic struck. <laughs> oh my God. He was home. Again, he was home. home. So the universe and, is just like, yes. wow, like allowing yeah. this pop of time that, that is like so, uh, I the think way this the work works, as a team. Yeah. The, way this is, the way this works is that I have help. Yeah. Okay. Oh, <laughs> and when, and when Nathan thing. did go back to school, right, yeah. before the pandemic struck and after his dissertation ended, Eliana was in daycare. Okay. Um, 20, I would say 20 hours a week. Okay. So I had help. Okay. So and that's then, amazing. I, mm-hmm. Yes. Nathan is, Nathan is co-parenting, you know, with me. He's, yeah. he's uh, he does as much as I do. Right. Okay. Um, nice. And we're both working a lot as well. Right? Yeah. We're both yeah. very busy. We're both very yeah. passionate about our, about our, our careers. And that's why we, yeah. you know, are helping each other out because we kind of know how each other works, right? Like we Perfect. both have to be working yeah. because we love what we do. And so we yeah. both have to be full on parenting too. Yeah. And great. so the, uh, the, the pandemic struck. Okay. Yeah. Now Nathan is going, we'll see how long this lasts, but he's going in every day. Oh. Yeah, um, but things are probably going to, I think things are going to get shut down again. I think they we'll are see, too. We'll I, 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 so many people think that and I've just, I almost like hope it just happens sooner rather than later. So more people will be okay. You know what I mean? Like it just seems, you know, I mean, a lot of people have different viewpoints on this. Probably I'm with you on this one. I guess we won't know until we know, but um, you know, just take it one step at a time. Exactly. So he's going in and um, we have a babysitter. Okay. Okay. 30 hours a week. Wow. Great. So how that is how I do it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) There. Great. Good. I think the focus and the dedication and and the just like zeroing in on what it is that you want to do. I see that focus. And uh, I think that I'm grateful for it. And I'm sure your students that get to attend your classes and just be in, in, in the energy and flow of working with their bodies in this way that is innovative right? Working with yoga is not just yoga. It's like yoga, the multidisciplinary focus, like you said, it's, it's working with therabands, working with balls, working with all of the different things that can help the body. And then also having the kettlebell focus for strength, which is fun and, you know, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, there's, a car- there's a cardio component to the kettlebell oh, cool. class that I think is um, underestimated. And a lot okay. of people, I think, come away with this very positive feeling in their body because of the strength, but also because of the strength endurance component of it. Um, I love you have the timer, right? Like, do you use the timer still? Like when I took your class, you had that timer that was like, I do. I like, I like, we, we don't always work for time. We'll we'll sometimes work for reps, but, um, but I'll, I'll usually set a timer even if we're working for reps because I want there to be a container container. (laughs) that keeps us all, you know, it's focusing. And it also, it also helps me as a, as a teacher because I can lose track of time really easily. So, oh yeah. Jason and I taught for a long time together and one of the great influences was Eric Schiffman Mm. and he brought this, uh, component into class, which was to use a stopwatch, Mm. use a stopwatch. And, you know, so many times I think like as a yoga teacher, you might do one side of something and then go to the other side. And how often is it going to be so easy to not be balanced because it's so easy to lose track of time. So like he literally used a stopwatch. Yeah. I think, I think a timer or a watch or a clock can be an interesting Mm. container it can create an interesting container. It can also create a different kind of awareness, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's focusing. Um, right? Yeah. It's, it's focusing and it's, and it's, uh, 
it's also illuminating, right? Where y- you start to have a different understanding of time yeah. or you have a different understanding of the exercise as it relates to time. Well, yeah. Um, when you're, when you're aware of the time. Definitely. Definitely. I, this is like the one time I don't happen to have my wristwatch on, but I uh-huh. live by that thing. Like yeah. I know that people don't wear watches anymore because everybody's got the phone, but yeah. as a teacher, my wristwatch is one of my most necessary tools, you know, and it's got to be like the second hand sweeping. So I can see the 30 seconds go by when we're holding one side and that, you know, or like, uh, what did we do this morning? We did, um, I think we did like a one minute hold and plank, uh-huh. you know, and so I could tell everybody, you know, okay, we're 15 seconds in, yeah. You know, like, yeah. 10 seconds left to go, you know, that so, can be really helpful. Yeah. You know, yeah, really helpful. Definitely. Yeah. I love that. You got to love your tools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, and I think part of our tools nowadays are like the virtual tools, Zoom, you know, um, the cameras and the microphones that we're using now, right? We, you it's know, the new, it's the new, what's the word? I mean, it's like the new, um, the norm, I don't want to say it's right? the new studio, but it's all of the, all of the considerations that you would have to make about a studio space. Mm-hmm. were, you know, very much about the size and props and location, right? Location, yeah. location, location. Oh, yeah. And equipment that was needed for whatever class. And now it's still props and equipment because students need yeah. to have props and equipment. But now it's all about cameras. Cameras and, and angles and setup. And, and, yes. and editing and upload speed. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know about you, but some of the tips and tricks I've found are I literally, so our, my living room converts into our virtual studio and I literally have masking tape on the floor like you would, you know, on a, on a theatrical stage. This yeah. is where this prop goes. This is where that prop goes. This is where this light goes, you know, lighting, you know, have a, I have transformed like the, the living room lights into like um, lights that sort of better work for illuminating the picture so the students can see. Yeah, You know, if the student's uh, picture is dark and all we see is a shadow, then, okay, that's not ideal. But the teacher definitely needs to not be just a silhouette on the screen. You yeah. have to be able to see the teacher. So yeah. um, setting up like a, a theatrical stage. Yeah. Um, and I'm still, I'm still undergoing a, a learning curve, but I made a big discovery that there are some really good desktop cameras out there. Oh, great. You have a space where you can have your desktop computer first and foremost, but if you have a space where you can teach with that desktop computer, you could also use a laptop computer. I'm I'm sure you could use a laptop computer as well. What I like about the desktop though, is that I can see the students better because the screen is so much bigger. Screen's bigger. Yeah. But this, anyway, this webcam, it's a webcam. I should just call it a webcam. Yeah. It has such a wide angle lens that my room went from like only being able to be in about a third of my room and still be in frame to now being able to use almost two thirds of my room. Oh, great. And being in frame. If you're interested, it's a Logitech Brio. That's the uh, one. Okay. It's not, a, it's not that, it's not as it's expensive not- as, a, as an iPhone. Yeah, it's really not. And the other other thing that I uh, really like about it is that it will record for Zoom. So the Zoom students live get a a nicer image of me, but it will also dual record with QuickTime. Oh, great. So I can have uh, the QuickTime copy to edit. And then I then do a triple backup. So I've got the Zoom recording, the QuickTime recording, and I do a iPhone recording. 
Wow. I can't get my air. I have AirPods that I use for sound for the desktop, but I can't use the AirPods also for my iPhone. So I have to tie a set of um, wireless headphones that work with the app on my iPhone, which is Film Mic Pro. So I get decent sound on that third backup. That's so great. Actually, that's, that's one thing I have missing is the, the microphone. If you're not moving, you have a lapel mic. But right. since you're moving in space, you need something that works for that. So these are these are earbuds that are connected via a cord. Uh-huh. So they go from one ear to the other ear and there's a cord in between. Okay. And I just take the cord and I wrap it around the strap of my tank top. So it doesn't go far. And I've got a mic. <laughs> now I've got a mic, right? That's so great. There are headphones that have been converted to a mic. That's so um, and I didn't have to pay a thousand dollars for it, and it stays that nice, it stays right? Down. It doesn't fall off, and I don't have a big bulky plastic pack in my oh back. My gosh. Right? So there's, so there's, cool. so I discovered that, and then the the thing that I really love about it is yeah. that the QuickTime recording is yeah. on my desktop where I will video edit it because that's yeah. where I want to do my video editing is on a nice big desktop. Of course. But the iPhone recording is on my phone where I can then cut clips for social media. Perfect. So I don't have to do file transfer. Oh my God, Laurel. Oh my God. There's like, there's like glitter falling from the sky right now in my mind. I'm like, what? I know you don't have to you do know, a file transfer. That's if so you just, great. If you just tell people that I crack the tech code in this podcast episode. Oh my God. Everybody That's will. That's amazing. No, I, I don't know that I've te- cracked the tech code because there's a lot of people doing this a lot better than I am. But I do think that making those discoveries that I made really work for me in oh, terms of amazing. how I'm using the content and how well, I'm just like working with it. Yeah. Well, I think, well, just being able to have good sound with not having a, a big battery pack. I mean, I was actually, that's my one thing that I need to work on is like my next thing is to get better sound. I was going to order, you know, the headset mic. Mm-hmm. But then you have to have that pack on you, which yeah. I don't like. So yeah. this sounds it's much not, better. Not comfortable. So, yeah. <laughs> the so headphones, if you're interested, the headphones that are not the AirPods are yeah. Boltune, B-O-L-T-U-N-E. Um, Boltune, B-O-L-T-U-N-E? Yeah, Boltune. They're, they work with the Filmic Pro app, F-I-L-M-I-C, Filmic Pro app that works with iPhone. Cool. If you don't use Apple products, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I use Apple products. I, mean, I have Most actually. Some people do, oh, but some people don't. There are, there are a couple people that don't. I'm a little half half. I have the Apple MacBook Pro, but I have an Android phone. So I'll, oh, okay. I'll let you know. I'll get back to you on that one. But I'm so okay. excited, though. I swear, Laurel, there's like glitter falling from the sky in my head. Yeah, yeah. Because, and you know, it's like you know, these things will be helpful. And maybe if there are other teachers listening out there, 1% better every time if we can just continue to, to grow. Then I definitely think that my growth has been, has been pretty slow in the tech, in the tech arena. It doesn't and, matter, though, uh, because look at what you've done. I mean, I, from my viewpoint. It's better and better. It gets better and better. It's slow. It's really slow, but it gets better and better. I, from, my, from what I see, Laurel, I get your newsletters. I see what you're putting out there. And I just, I, I love your focus, your presence, your energy. Um, and I know where you, you know, like, I've known you for like, you know, since, you know, since anatomy studies for yoga teachers. And what, no, what no, year no, was no, that? No. Was that 20? 2008. 2008. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> I know. So I must have ago. taken it before then. When did, because that was already at the Zanyasa Yoga Studio, right? No, you know, it was at... Um, <gasps> Integral? Integral. <gasps> oh, my God. Yep. You were like one of the first, first OG. ones, right? Very first. 
I was the oh, very first round. Oh my God, Laurel, you were like the first class the that first. went through. Oh, I thought you knew that. No, the first. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. No, I didn't know that. I, I don't know why I didn't make the connection because somehow I, I see you in the studio, like uh, in my mind's eye, but oh my God, you were the first. Oh, that was so yeah. amazing. Oh my God. And the Muscolino book, right? Yeah. I, I remember that Muscolino um, <laughs> was like the most amazing, but so in depth. Oh my God. I think what he did was he took like several different anatomy books and cross-referenced them uh -huh. and let you know which which things most people agreed upon because right. apparently anatomy is different in different books, right? Uh -huh. And Muscolina was like the master at like kind of really taking all of that into consideration. And that was the book that was used. And, um, yeah. oh my God, Laurel. So this was before there were notes and slides and you really went through the ringer because that was oh, like yeah. the hardest. Oh class. yeah. And there oh, were like God. hard tests. And, oh, you kidding me? <laughs> oh my God. Jason is no nothing if not thorough. I'll tell you, right? And you know that, oh my God, Laurel, you were one of the first. <laughs> oh, wow. And that was really like when it was, uh, I don't know if I should tell you that, but over the years, it's been boiled down and, and edited and, and done over and it's been made a lot more accessible. So I'm sorry that you had, most, but you paved the way. Most teaching is, isn't yeah. it? That's yes. the curve. Yeah, isn't it? The curve is rarely toward more complex and less accessible. Right. Right? Well, yeah, the more accessible. When we get it is. better at teaching, actually, we we make things uh, easier to learn. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh my God! Well, hats off to you, Laurel, because that was yeah. So no, that's 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 correct. I think um, I went I went yeah I went through after you did and oh my God. Yeah, hats off to you, Laurel, because I know that was like really challenging and just in depth. I mean, I enjoyed I it. Think I, of, I loved it. I thought I liked it because it was challenging. It was super challenging. <laughs> kind of and that's the thing. Like, <laughs> exactly. I, mean, I, I feel like I see that, Laurel. And I think that's one of the things that makes you such a great teacher is that you are a person that takes in in-depth information and then you do you boil, you boil it down for your students but but you take it in and you have that and oh my god i can't believe i'm only making the connection now you were like the first group that went through that anatomy studies for yoga teachers class was um you know it's it's been um it's been boiling down and boiling down and, and changing and morphing and and um i want to say growing but it's really shrinking in a good way right um but it's still 108 hours teaching, uh, teaching editing Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm reminded of someone who said, I would have written a shorter letter to you if only I had had more time. Yeah. It's right. all about the editing, right? Well, also time teaching, right? When I think of the time it takes to write a letter, a couple of hours maybe at tops, right? But mm -hmm. the time it takes to learn to teach is forever, right? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but you get better over the years. I you look do. back and mm -hmm. I can remember what I was teaching in the beginning and now what I'm teaching and it evolves, right? It's evolving. It's evolving. Yeah. And, and it's, it's simultaneously, I think what I'm teaching now is more direct and simple, but it is also much richer. Yeah. Still waters run deep is offer. what I think of. Right? I have more it to looks... offer and I, and I also, yeah. I know what not to say. <laughs> That's important. Oh my God, Laurel. I think that you're right. Like that is, that is part of what makes things so rich. Like I think of this phrase, still waters run deep, that what you see, what you, you know, just that pointed cue 
that is just the right cue. I actually edit myself when I'm speaking to students as well. Like it's like, what will be the most effective thing that will help this student in this moment? Yeah. And you have to kind of actively ignore some of the things that are, you know, maybe as a newer teacher, you might be jumping all over things, but how really are you going to help your student? What is the most important thing? I know that speaking of Jason Ray Brown and the anatomy studies for yoga teachers course and his teaching, one of the things when we had the Zanyasa studio and the um, Zanyasa teacher training, one of the things that was uh, made important with, uh, with, within the teacher training is to highlight what are the fires that need to be put out? What is the most important thing to tell a student that will keep them safe? Mm. Is it, you know, the back foot in warrior one is a prime example. You know, it's like you don't have to have the rotation be so exact in warrior two, whereas in warrior one, the medial rotation of the back thigh really keeps the kneecap and the toes facing the same direction. My approach would be, this is kind of back to the anatomical versus biomechanical approach yes. to safety. Like yeah. my, my approach for myself, at least would be, you know, if my back knee is hurting me in warrior one, where it's yeah. under very little load. Yeah. I would ask myself, why is my knee not able to tolerate such a low amount of load? And what can right. I do over time to progressively increase its capacity to tolerate that load, regardless right. of the alignment it's in? Because frankly, sometimes life is going to require your knee yeah. to rotate funny. Yeah, yeah. And it's in progressively preparing your knee to rotate funny that you'll be able to rotate it funny in, in real life and not, you know, not end up in, in potentially, right? This is all theory, not yeah. end up in pain and injury, but it's, 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 this is how the tissues adapt, right? They adapt yeah. because of stress. Yeah. So stress avoidance then is something that we are starting to have to reckon with as a, a community of teachers that teach yoga that, you know, is constantly correcting alignment in order to avoid stress the best way to prevent right. injury. Oh, good point. Good point. And there is that little bit of rotation that is meant to be there at the knee joint with the screw home mechanism. And when you take a, when you're walking and then you take a, a step in a different direction and you pivot, there is that little bit of rotation that is necessary there. The knee rotates, well, yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> It's wild, right? <laughs> Not many pure hinge joints in the body. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, Laurel. I'm so excited that we've been able to have this conversation. I feel like we could like go on like more and more. I would love to have you come back on again. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. Absolutely. I wonder if we had to think of maybe one or two simple tips like a quick takeaway that the listeners could take home right away and use? Like what would be one or two quick, simple tips that you would recommend? Well, I think that during these times of captivity, relative captivity, <laughs> that my yeah. tips might be kind of in that theme of being, you know, restricted in terms of where we can go and what we can do. So yeah. one tip that I have is take it day by day. So demanding a lot of ourselves, uh, th this might not be the time for that. Right. <laughs> Placing really long-term 
expectations on ourselves for some type of personal growth is difficult to do in the face of so much uncertainty. Right. And it is a potentially could create a type of pressure that's not very helpful. So I would say take it one day at a time. And with regards to physical activity, when you take it one day at a time, think about how you want to balance out your weekly activities so that it might include a little bit of some different stuff and use self-study, self-regulation to determine what would be best today. So if you like walking or if you like rolling on therapy balls or if you like doing yoga, if you Mm -hmm. like lifting weights, those are all very different things to do and take it day by day and see if you can do one of those things, anything really, if it's Zumba or if it's Tai Chi and see if you can bring in the habit of just staying physically active try to bring in some physical activity every day because I think that that is probably for the people listening to this podcast, something that they want to do anyway and something that helps them anyway and try to mix it up so that every day you're not only doing something maybe a little different, but you're responding to what you feel like you need. And then my third tip is if your movement practice doesn't include some type of strength enhancing activity, I'm going to encourage you to get curious about it, building strength in terms of what the scientific literature has to say about it. Yeah. Has many proven benefits for both biological slash physical health, but also it's coming to light that it can have very positive effects on mental health as well. Oh yeah. There's a lot of psychosocial carryover to getting and feeling stronger is what I'm trying to say. Psychosocial in that the benefits go beyond just the biological or physical. So yeah, take it day by day. Don't put huge, enormous pressure on yourself. Don't craft elaborate plans for self-improvement. That can sometimes be a very unkind thing to do, I think, during these uncertain times where everything is just so up and down and volatile and things feel very, I think, uncertain and kind of scary. Yeah, they really do. Stay active and consider adding some strength into your weekly activities. Those are my tips. I love that. I love that. That's awesome. (laughs) Let me ask Laurel, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Laurel Beaversdorf. And you can also find me on my website, laurelbeaversdorf.com. Those are the two best places to find me. I'm, I'm other places, but those are the two plants that I'm watering and tending the closest. So. Beautiful. <laughs> good, good. Oh, I'm so glad, Laurel, that we've been able to have this conversation. I'm so grateful. And I look forward to seeing how your studio, your online studio grows. I love getting your newsletters. And um, can students find your newsletter through your website? They absolutely can. Yeah. I'm so glad we were able to have this conversation, Laurel. Thank you so much. Thank Um, you very much. I I look forward to us being able to talk again soon. Really, really lovely to talk to you, Francis. Thanks so much for inviting me to be on your podcast. I'm grateful to be able to have our conversation. Look forward to talking to you next time. Okay. Take Take care. care. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Based on what we talked about, I made a special download for you entitled Intro to Functional Strength Training. You can find it in the show notes and also on my website, www.taylorfitwellness.com. I hope this is a helpful tool for you to use along your journey to wellness. Take care and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.